And good evening, everyone. Welcome to Friday Night with Friends. We are so excited to have you with us, and we hope that you are excited to be with us as much as we are excited to have you. And uh, hope that everybody is hearing us, that you're coming through, and our, got our volumes all set. We're constantly trying to improve on the broadcast, and so give us feedback if we've uh, messed up something, or if you're not hearing okay, or whatever feedback you've got for us. Use your chat feature and let us know what's happening. I'm pleased to have my co-host with me, our Connections Pastor, Brother Desi Lugo. And, Good evening. And uh, we're just very excited that you have chosen to spend some time with us. Let me remind everybody, if you want to interact with us, uh, you need to choose whether you're going to go onto Facebook or onto YouTube. Either one of those channels will work, and you then are able to chat and interact in the live question and answer period of this time. If you simply want to watch, you can also go to our live page on newarkupc.info. And by the way, that's a great site to check out all kinds of things like small groups and contests. You can give, you can put in prayer requests. There's all kinds of stuff that's there for you. And uh, if you're new with us, we'd love for you to hit that first card that you hit. It says, I'm new, and just drop us a little bit of information so we can welcome you. So anyway, I want to get out of the way here and, and get going with our guest. I am so excited. If you don't know who's on the screen right now, I'm so excited to have my friend. Now, I'm going to formally introduce her, and then I'm going to informally introduce her. So let me start with the formal introduction. Dr. Cindy Miller lives in New Jersey with her best friend, ministry partner, and husband, Stan Miller, also known as Stanton. Together, they pastor Calvary Tabernacle in Wrightstown, New Jersey. She holds a PhD in pastoral care and counseling. Dr. Miller also serves as professor of practical theology at Urshan Graduate School of Theology. In addition to authoring five books, she is a columnist for the Reflections Magazine, and she also contributes to other UPCI publications. She also travels nationally and internationally, if I may insert here, way too much, speaking at conferences, training ministry in professional development, seminars, and also providing counseling consultations for UPCI churches and clergy. Now, to her, even more important than all of that is that she is mom to April, along with Alton, Jonathan, along with Francie, and Nathan, along with Gina. And she's Grammy to seven, Gabriel, Alondra, Elisa, Olivia, Gigi, Emery, and Michaela. And I hope I pronounced all of those correctly, Cindy. Now, the informal No, 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 no. Before you mess this up with an informal introduction, I just want to say we're very privileged to have such a distinguished guest tonight. Absolutely. Now, I, I don't understand the us. implication. <laughs> What's the implication I'm going to mess this up? The implication, I mean, I, Stephen, for everybody who knows you and still loves you is that you're about to kick the pail. <laughs> Something... I don't understand this. All right. That, having, having gotten that out of the way, go <laughs> ahead. Now you can do the informal introduction. All right. So the informal introduction is, ladies and gentlemen, this is my big sister. And she is a pain in the rear as a big sister. <laughs> and he kicked the bucket. <laughs> I couldn't leave you all disappointed. It was coming. Uh, it, <laughs> it really is a privilege to have Sister Cindy Miller with us. And uh, for those of you that have been around Newark for a while, she has spoken in multiple contexts within Newark. And uh, she is a close friend. She counts my father and my mother, she and her husband as their pastors. And, uh, and due to that, over the years, we have worked together 
I'm the big bully she hides behind whenever she doesn't want to deal with conflict. And uh, so there's just a lot of history, but I don't want to waste any more time. I want to get out of the way because the topic I've asked Sister Miller to address and look at, Cindy, this is a topic that is very appropriate for where we're sitting right now. We are staring at an economy that if everything goes well, is going to just squeak by a Great Depression. We're looking at thousands of deaths on the Boss Wash Corridor of the East Coast. Last tally I looked at, 24,000 people are dead, and many, many more are, are sick. And um, it's just, it's astronomical what we're facing. And so the idea of suffering and the idea that not only does God not always stop suffering, but in fact, he has developed a plan in which suffering has a place. I don't like this concept. I don't like this idea, and yet here we are staring it in the face. And so I want you to take the next 25, 30 minutes here and kind of walk us through how you arrived at this idea that maybe we need to develop an understanding of God in terms of suffering, why we don't like it, why we resist it, why he uses it, and how maybe we can bend ourselves to lean into it so that what he wants to do can be produced in it. So Desi and I are gonna mute ourselves. Ladies and gentlemen, tune your ear to a subject that you might not be excited about, but it's really relevant right now. Cindy, take it away. Well, first of all, I am very happy to be here and I would not, uh, would not want to even start without saying how much I love the Beardsley family. And certainly I appreciate my little brother, Stephen. Um, I probably have taken on this topic of suffering because of him in my life. No, just kidding. <laughs> hey, come on now. Cut it out. <laughs> Revenge is sweet. But honestly, I, I, find that I find the understanding of suffering, the role of suffering in the life of a believer as uh, something that is very comforting to me. I think where we get stressed in our relationship with God is when we believe that life in Christ is all about just happiness and flowers and sunshine. And, and then when real life happens, and it does to all of us, it causes so many questions like, what did I do wrong? Where is God? Does he care? And so I found, I found um, in my own life growing up, going to church and uh, being a good Sunday school girl, that there was this tendency to try to sell Christianity by really building up all the perks and benefits and the good things. But the biblical story says that we are going to suffer. I mean, it's pretty plain, John 16 and 3. In this world, you will have trouble. So why are we so shocked by suffering? In this world, you're going to have trouble. And, um, and then you start reading, you know, from uh, the Old Testament through the New Testament. And it is a book of suffering and how God is involved in the lives of believers. So I'm probably talking more from the point of view of a counselor, uh, as a minister and a counselor, but certainly this is something I live out 
as a daughter of the Lord Jesus Christ, when people come, uh, when they're in a time of stress or trouble, difficulty, and they come either to the pastor or to you, a believer, to the church, or maybe to a time of prayer, the cry is to soothe my pain and solve my problem. That's really all we're looking for. Just get me out of this. And even in our recent time, I'm sure like many of you, I've been wanting to lean towards that. God, get us out of it, fix it, make it go away. And instead of, you know, really getting curious about God, what are you up to in this? And really living for God requires you to become very curious about what he's up to because he is always up to something. The other issue that I've experienced in my own personal life and as a counselor minister is with people who are um, not of a faith, when they have a crisis in life, they have the crisis in life. And that's all they have to tend to is their crisis in life. But for believers, and I just kind of, that's a broad term that I'm using, uh, but for someone who has a faith in Christ and you kind of have gone along believing certain things, having ideas about what it means to live for God, when a crisis in life occurs, you not only have that crisis in life, but now you have a crisis in faith. So here's this crisis in life, but for someone maybe who you have believed that, that living for God should prevent bad things from happening, that living for God comes with all kinds of uh, preventative measures because we do want a God of prevention rather than a God of intervention. I think that's so true of all of us. And so we have this crisis in life and now we're juggling not only crisis of life, but crisis of faith. And so what does a believer do when pain and tragedy and heartache hits their life? It's in those times that knowing what you believe about God, his character, what do you know about him? What you believe about the role of suffering in the lives of believers and, and being able to develop core convictions around those. Well, it's better you do that sooner than later before the tough times hit. I remember when I was first introduced to this idea of theology of suffering and my, my whole being was just repelled by, like, I don't want to have to think about suffering. I hate pain. I don't want to suffer. And I think that's common to all of us. But the more that I, I was forced through my program I was in to delve into it, uh, the more I, it became apparent that I had to have some core convictions around this because you cannot listen to the stories of other people's suffering without really having core convictions around uh, God's place and what you believe about God and what you believe about suffering. So we talk about uh, theology of suffering and, and I just wanna give this very simple definition. Uh, uh, the theology of suffering is what the Bible teaches us about suffering, understanding what God thinks about it and what God has revealed to us through his word about it. So whatever, hurts you, whatever causes you pain. Uh, for some people, you may look at what they call suffering and you would go, oh my goodness, if my life was that simple, oh, I would just be on top of the world. But if it causes you pain, if it causes you 
to struggle that causes you to uh, look to God in a way you never have before, well, then it's important. And so we're not going to measure whose pain is worse. We're not going to compare among ourselves who has it worse. We're just going to understand that suffering comes to all humanity and whatever form that takes in your life, it's still important. Uh, when we look at suffering, we do have to look at our responsibility. So there is decisions I've made that resulted in suffering in my life, and I have to own that. I have to take responsibility for it. But then there's the direct sin of others, things that people have done that had an impact on me. It was out of my control. I had no control over their decisions, but I was reaping uh, some of the consequences to their decisions. I don't have any control over what other people do. The only thing I have control over is my response to what they've done to me and what kind of woman I wanna be in the middle of it. Um, we understand that there is original sin, Adam and Eve uh, disobeyed God in the Garden of Eden. There was this great fall, sin uh, and death came into the world. And there's things that are linked to original sin. We're not, we don't even have time to delve into that tonight. Um, we believe in uh, evil. We believe in a devil. Um, we also believe that, that um, the rain falls on the just and the unjust, as the Bible says, life happens, life issues. But when you mix all that together, it comes down to this, humanity suffers. People who know God suffer. People who don't know God suffer. So we have this, the only, the only thing we have really control over is our response to it and what we're going to do about it. So the beginning point for tonight is, we, it has to start with your relationship with God. How are things between you and him? Because what you believe about God, who he has been to you, what you know about him, what you call this is true, um, it might stand the test of time when things are really good, but is it going to stand the test of time when things are really difficult? Uh, you know, we, we've all heard that God is good all the time, all the time. God is good. And so fun on a church service. You know, if you've been in large groups at a concert and that little uh, praise chant goes up, but what if your family member is in ICU for literally the hundredth time and, and you don't know if they're going to make it out this time? Um, the years have taken a toll. The trauma of near-death experience over and over again takes a toll. And so you hear this chanting, God is good all the time, all the time, God is good. And you may even be saying it because that's what we do as Christians. Sometimes in our worst moments, we are, I hate to say this, we're going through the motions, we're doing all the right things. But in your mind, you may be thinking, is he really? Is he good all the time and all the time he is good? So what do you know about him? Is he trustworthy? Do you really believe that God is in control whether it's the economy or a pandemic or tornadoes, earthquakes, floods, does he rule planet earth for the righteous? And how do you know that? Do you know it because pastor got up and preached it on Sunday or that's just basically what all good Christians say? Have you 
delved into it? Does scripture teach you that? And what is your personal experience around it? Is God merciful? Is he loving? Is he faithful? And these are things that you're going to have to know for yourself. Do you believe that he's powerful? Is he strong enough to take care of you? Is he powerful enough to care for you? Um, and always going back to everything that you may be agreeing with. Yes, he's good. Yes, he's loving. Yes, he's powerful. So easy to say yes, but how do you support that agreement? Is it just, well, that's what everybody says? So I'm really teaching tonight about developing a belief system that's going to carry you through the hard times. It is not uh, a name it and claim it gospel. It's not a prosperity gospel that if you just send uh, Newark United $10 that you're going to be blessed financially and this whatever's coming with the economy won't hurt you. It's, it's none of that. And why is this important? It's important because Christians stumble over a good God who allows the experience of suffering. So it's easy to worship. We love salvation. We love the praise. We love heaven uh, forever with the Lord. But the stumbling block, I think, for most Christians, in my personal experience, those I've worked with, the students I teach, the families I provide counseling, the churches I minister at, that's the question that comes up over and over again is why? Where is God? Why is this happening? And when is he going to do something about it? Trusting God. Trusting God. Even when life is hard, even when it doesn't make sense, when there seems to be no purpose in the pain and no end in sight, trusting God. But if you're not trusting God, what is the alternative? Who are you going to trust? If you cannot put your trust in him, who are you going to trust? Who is able to take care of you on this grand scale of life? Do you trust in yourself? Well, that's risky because you know better than anyone how limited you are. Uh, your loved ones, well, they are as limited as we are. So that makes trusting in people risky. And, and it also puts so much pressure on others. I can't be God for you. I, I can be a, the best mom I know how to be, but I can't rescue my children from a pandemic. I can't change the world. I mean, if we don't trust God, who are we going to trust? And then we come to this very scary reality. And the reality is without God, we are alone without help. And if you're a person who really likes to be in control, this thought is so terrifying. But the other side of it is when you try to control the things that you cannot control, uh, like the economy and the pandemic and politics and your children, so many things. When you try to control the things you cannot control, you will always feel out of control. And that, that's no way to live. We know just from, I mean, just look at the word of God. You don't have to go too far into it 
to know that there are some hard teachings in the Bible and human suffering is one of them. So I wanna offer a caution to you just because you don't understand something in the moment because you can't explain it right now. Don't allow your inability to understand or to explain drive you away from God. In John 6, Jesus taught some very controversial things and many who were following him turned back. And he looked to his disciples and said, and asked them the question, are you going to leave me also? And Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And when I think about that, there's no evidence at the moment that Peter had a, a deeper understanding of what Jesus was teaching uh, that caused him to stay while others left. But what he did have was a profound trust in the one that he was following. And this kind of trust uh, in the midst of incomplete understanding, you don't understand it's incomplete, you don't know right now, that building that trust comes from having a relationship with the Lord. It comes from knowing him and you get to know him over time. I know him so much better today tonight than I did when I was nine years old and just starting on this journey. And when suffering comes, and it will, it absolutely will, what you know about him, his character, and what you believe about the role of suffering in the life of the believer, that's what's going to stabilize you when your world is rocked by pain. We know him from Psalm 93, we know he walks through the valley of the shadow of death with us. He provides for us in the presence of our enemies. I just see over and over again the scriptures that really don't talk about him getting me out of things, but him being with me and going with me through things. We can trust in his plan in a world that's broken by evil. Understanding that God can use this for good and in in, in come through in a way we can't even imagine. It doesn't negate our suffering, but it does provide hope in the outcome. So years ago, I developed a set of core convictions. Life is found in Christ and Christ alone. God's word is truth, ultimate truth. Up against anything else, his, his truth is the one I'm going to believe. And the third core conviction that guides my life is suffering is good for me. And, and trust me, this really came about through a period of suffering that transformed me forever and changed me. So it is a core conviction that I both hate and I treasure. Romans 5, 3 through 5, we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character. Character produces hope and hope doesn't put us to shame. So I don't rejoice in the pain, but I rejoice in the hope that I have in him. I am safe with him. Suffering causes me to depend on him in a way I never would outside of suffering. Suffering reminds us this world is not our home. Um, suffering creates a longing for heaven. Um, 
Suffering causes us to treasure all things eternal. If you've ever experienced the death of a loved one, then you begin to look to heaven in a different way. That hope of a reunion and that forever together just makes it so much sweeter. So you begin to look to things eternal. If you're not trusting in God, you, you don't have a lot left. So what you'll find is you develop self-protective strategies. So those self-protective strategies become very evident in times when your faith is challenged and your trust is very low. Uh, you may work harder at life, or you may do the opposite. You run and hide, you withdraw from life, you withdraw from people, responsibilities, you withdraw from God. Maybe you're going to church and you're going through the motions, but you notice that praise and worship feels a little different. It's more mechanical than heartfelt. And um, if you're like me, maybe there's been times you think, I don't want to be disappointed anymore. And so I'm not going to hope in anything other than what I can provide for myself. I must take care of myself. And I hope that isn't your core belief. I must take care of myself because you're limited. We're all limited and we need the Lord. If you're not trusting God, self-soothing behaviors become evident. How do you comfort yourself? Some people will turn to drugs, there are others to alcohol, pornography, some turn to food, some spend a lot of money, do excessive shopping, uh, play their games, watch TV. I don't know who, what you do, fill in the blank, maybe read all day. Um, Self-soothing, you know, just trying to comfort yourself, make life feel a little better. Um, so I think that's kind of the beginning point when you're looking at a situation where all the blessings are not easily seen or felt. And when everything that has kept you propped up is removed, when all the, the gifts and the perks and the privileges of your Christian life, when they're all gone, what do you have left? And what I hope is that you have a deeper connection with God and that you become so aware of his love for you and, and aware that you are loving him more than you've ever loved him and that you're able to live secure in the knowledge of who he is. In all of the situations of my life, I can tell you, I know this to be true of him. He is faithful. And there are situations, even right now, a family member in the hospital, seven weeks, uh, just, just 10 years of, of suffering around. And it just, she's like a daughter to me in my heart. It is the ache of my heart every day. But through it all, I have come to understand he is faithful. Job lost everything. If you think of the Old Testament story of Job, he lost everything. And then we read this, this happy ending, so to speak. You know, he got his health back and he rebuilt his herds and his home and he uh, restored his relationship with his wife and regained his wealth and material possessions, all that. Yay, more kids. But <laughs> the victory in the story isn't that he just got all this stuff back. The victory in his story is he gained what mattered most because he said, I had only heard of you, but now I know you for myself. And I think that's what suffering does for us. It allows us to know him in a way you would have never known him outside of suffering. So a question, and I'm just so sorry, my hair decided to just fall down in my face, but 
a question I have for you is what if we viewed suffering as the solution and not the problem? Because so many times we're viewing suffering uh, as the problem. If this problem would go away, then I would be victorious in Christ. But what if it's the flip side? What if suffering is the solution and that is your path to being victorious in Christ? And I've talked a lot and I know that uh, there's time for uh, question and answers and there's so much more I want to share with you, but I'm just going to turn it back over to you, Stephen, and see um, what you want to do with it. What's next? All right. Thank you, Cindy. Um, Desi, why don't you come on and give some instructions to everybody with regard to um, how they want how they want to ask questions and so forth. Did I lose you, Desi? You did not lose me. I was trying to type into the chat feature so people know that now is the time when they can go ahead and submit their questions for Dr. Cindy Miller. So if she said something that piqued your curiosity and you'd like to hear a little more, or if you have some other question you'd like to submit to her that relates to this topic of how we as Christians live life even during a time of suffering, by all means, start submitting them now. And Cindy, I'll give you one to start with just as you are, as we're waiting for these others to come in. And, and by all means, only share what you're willing to share. But can you, in maybe just two to three minutes, give a high-level overview? You met, you just glanced on the idea that you had some incident in your life that completely changed your view of suffering. Are you willing to share, even at a high level, a rough idea of, of, of you know, what that was and how it changed your perspective? Well, I, I think there were several things that happened um, in, a, in a time span. So first, I, I was in a counseling program. So um, I've lived for the Lord. My husband and I are in ministry. And I had gone through a, some difficulties. Um, and, you know, we were church planting. Um, our daughter became a diabetic. And that was going on. Um, so that my husband, so we're trying to begin this church plan and my husband's job shut down. So there was financial crisis and, uh, and I had a precious grandmother who loved the Lord, but her favorite thing was if things weren't going well and there were problems in your life and you prayed, then obviously the problem was that you were wavering in your faith. That was a lack of faith. So there was no room in my life to understand that the hurt that I went through, the confusion, the difficulty, the stresses, that I, I couldn't even frame it as God is going to use this. I am maturing. I am growing. I'm developing my, I'm developing in my trust. I'm developing into my understanding. There wasn't room for that either. I needed more faith, which it frustrated me because I just did not know how, what is this key to make God behave himself and give me what I want? And faith isn't getting what you want from God. Faith is, is simply living for God, trusting him when you don't get what you want, when the answer you've prayed for doesn't come and you're still worshiping, you're still showing up, you're still loving and smiling and, and uh, declaring the goodness of God. That's faith. But uh, there was no room for that. I didn't understand that concept. And then we had a baby who died and, uh, 
and that that was just very painful and difficult. And, you know, I, I remember praying and, and uh, I wanted to ask God why, but didn't feel like I really had permission to ask why. Uh, so I tried to just use careful language to ask him why, but not appear. Do you understand what I'm saying? I know that sounds crazy, but uh, I remember I was praying one day and, and I was just saying, God, if I could understand why she died, uh, it would make this so much easier. I, you know, I could, I could get a handle on, it. I could move on. And he, in his own very gentle, loving way, it did not feel like a rebuke, even though it's a strong statement, it felt very loving. And he simply replied to me, you ask me why to accuse me. And I knew exactly what he meant. There wasn't anything he could say that would make me feel better about her dying. Nothing, nothing was going to make me feel good about this. It, there was, if he said, oh, well, you know, she was going to grow up and not serve me. I mean, while well, you're God, you could change that. Or she was going to do this. That was going to happen, you know, whatever. And so I would say that was one area of suffering um, that turned, kind of turned my mind in a different way, but probably it was, it was going through the counseling education as well when all this was going on and they never let you off the hook. They don't let you wallow in self-pity and indulge your childish behaviors, your immature Christianity. <laughs> um, because, you know, I don't know if I'm just rambling. I just, I think, I think what's important here is when people come for help to a counselor or to the pastor or to any minister or, or believer, and they're asking for help, it's not our job to prevent people from suffering. That's not our task. But what, what we want to do is to keep people from suffering for the wrong reasons, because there's the suffering for the crisis that you're in. And then, like I said, that crisis of faith, you begin to suffer for the wrong reasons uh, because you're suffering because you believe something to be true that's not true, that you believe there's no, there should be no pain, no confusion, no loneliness, no suffering. And, and all of our energy goes to escaping our pains. How do I get out of this? And that's not the goal. What if you could mobilize all of that energy and, and just get focused on what is God up to? God is with me. I am confident. God is going to make this work for my good. I have seen it over and over again. His word says it, and I believe it. So the very pain that caused me to despair could transform me into hope if I allow God to be involved in it. Uh, I don't know if that kind of answers your question. No, I appreciate you being willing to share and, and thank you. And so it's not even just one thing. It's, it's multiple things that happen within a season of life, especially as you were in this program that really began to change the way that you viewed mm -hmm. what was happening. Absolutely. So well, I appreciate you being willing to share more of your story. While you were doing that, we've had multiple questions come in. So I'd like to throw a few of them at you and see if you can, I know we could spend probably a long time on each of these questions, but see if you can answer them in a relatively short amount of time so we can do several of them. The first question uh, came in from one of our listeners, a, a lady in our church, Samantha, and she asked, do you consider self-soothing to be totally bad? Could going to the Bible, 
reading scripture, singing praises still be considered part of self-soothing? You talked about these different ways that we try to either ignore or mask or, you know, suppress pain. Well, maybe, maybe I should have rephrased that because obviously um, finding comfort in Christ and the presence of Christ is not ever going to be uh, a, a wrong thing to do. Uh, the body of Christ, coming together to the body of Christ. But when I substitute people for God, then I'm starting to get in trouble. When I become independent, uh, when uh, I stop talking to him because he's not giving me the answers I want. I think, I think I'm talking more, and I wasn't plain enough, and I apologize for that. I'm not talking about people who are looking to God. I'm obviously talking about people who are looking away from God. And so comforting, finding comfort in the scripture, um, I would say is a kind of obvious, yes, I hope you do that. Thank you for the clarification. Scott brought a question and he said, you mentioned about the things that you or we have all done in the past that have hurt ourselves and therefore caused suffering. Why in your opinion, is it so hard for us to forgive ourselves of these events? It seems much harder to forgive ourselves versus forgiving other people. Well, this is going to open up a topic we don't really have time for tonight, but I'll just, I'm going to open it up and then your pastor can just uh, do with it what he wants to. I think part of the reason that we have a hard time forgiving ourselves is we start the path uh, of, of trying to heal the wrong done. So godly sorrow, you know, works repentance in us. And I think sometimes there is just sorry, but it's, it doesn't really lead much further. We're sorry. Someone's mad at us. We're sorry. We got caught. We're sorry. God doesn't like it. But it's not a sorrow of submission, of just complete utter awareness of the sovereignty of God and our submission to him and, you know, repentance. I, I'm going to change. I'm, I'm going to do it your way, God. But even if we get to that point, sometimes at that point, we feel so good about what we've done that we've made it to that point. But there's other pieces to getting on down the road of healing. And part of that is we still need to make restitution. So if we, if we say, okay, I need to forgive myself and you can't seem to forgive yourself, then you have to ask what is undone? Is it, do I need to make restitution? Uh, am, am I being called to reconciliation? And those are topics we really don't have time to get into. But usually, not always, so I'm not saying this is specific to you, but usually I find that people who struggle in the forgiving of themselves, there's some undone work that needs to be tended to. Um, so yes, I definitely think the topic of repentance, restitution, reconciliation, that's just a whole Friday night topic all by itself. Desi, let me ask a follow-up question to kind of uh, bridge out on that. Um, do you ever find that pride is involved with this? And what I mean by that is, is that in the not forgiving ourselves, part of forgiving ourselves is the admission that we were incapable. We fell short. 
literally the definition of sin. We fell short. And God's not having as much trouble with the fact that we fell short and he has to reach for us and that his grace is sufficient and his mercy is sufficient. His instructions are sufficient for us to do uh, restitution and to make things right. But that pride is present. I'd like you to comment on that as far as whether you and your experience are finding that sometimes, and again, this is not targeted at Scott. It's a follow-up question to, to this whole thing of, well, we struggle to forgive ourselves. Is pride involved? Well, I, I think it's certainly a big you know, piece of it. I mean, when you look at what pride, how pride impacts all of us, you know, uh, I think when, when we're looking at that sense of also um, dependency on God, um, you know, I struggle to forgive myself. There's a whole lot of I in there. I struggle to forgive me is all about me. And so that sense of I'm very independent from the working of the Holy Spirit. Where, where is God in that? And I'm the first one. Scott, if ever there was somebody who needs to live a reflective life and really take it all to the Lord, it's me. So I hope that you feel what I'm saying right now in the sense of I, when I come up against these kind of things, I've learned this about myself. I don't trust myself. So when I'm bumping up against things like this, then it's really a matter of God reveal me to me because this shouldn't be going on. So why am I struggling here? And he's very faithful to reveal me to me. I've often said, Lord, I hope you deal with other people as honestly and quickly as you deal with me. So I, I think, yeah, getting beneath the surface, um, like I said, when I was praying about why my baby died, I wanted to look so good. I wanted to sound so right. I wanted to you know, not look like I was mad at God, but I was mad at God. Uh, but the only one who was fooled by that was me because I thought I had all the right language. So I, to me, that equated to a right heart. And it's not always true. We can have the right language. We can do the right things, but it's not coming from a right heart. And God is just so quick to get involved. He loves us so much. He's like, well, let me show you what's going on beneath the surface. Does that make sense? Yes, and thank you for, I know, like you said, any one of these questions, we could probably take at least half an hour, and I know you're just trying to give a quick, high-level answer, and I do appreciate, we all appreciate what you're sharing with us tonight. Thank you for that. Uh, I think we've got time for at least two more questions. Rachel wrote in a question and said, as we begin to view suffering as a solution, how do we communicate that through our actions and words without it sounding offensive to other people? What you said was a pretty radical statement for many people, seeing suffering as a solution. Yeah, it was radical to me, too. Uh, and it, I think it, it takes a while. See, to, to have a statement is so different than having a core belief. And when something goes from being a statement I wrote in my journal or a, a prayer that I'm praying that I... I'm reaching for or goal of life or whatever, when it becomes a core, it's not an outside in, it's an inside out response to life. So I'm, I'm not even having to say it. I'm just living it out. 
And I don't think I sit around and think now, well, this is, you know, my theology of suffering. Suffering is good for me. God is at work. My life, I'm maturing in Christ. You know, I, I don't, it's not even language, but it's, it's how I live out my life in the worst of times. God is glorified and that I still praise him. When my daughter went through cancer years ago, um, you know, I journal every day. And, and so it was about 10 years ago, April went through cancer. And at the same time, April was going through cancer. My husband had two surgeries. He uh, developed a crippling rheumatoid arthritis, could not minister, could, I mean, couldn't lift a coffee cup, couldn't dress himself. So many things we had so many things going on, some situations in the church because, you know, smite the shepherd, the sheep will flee. We had all kinds of craziness going on. And, and I would just start my morning every day with the Lord because I could not exist without him. So a few, uh, about two years ago, I became very curious and I thought, oh, I want to go find those journals. I would love to see what was happening in my life and my relationship with God at that time. So I pulled them out. And honestly, I thought I had the wrong journals. No mention of cancer, no mention of rheumatoid arthritis, no woe is me, no, uh, oh, this is so hard. Where is God? It, nothing. I, I double checked the dates and it was all correct. But it was, it was just journals filled with awareness of God and, and learning new things through his word. Like my life focus was just moving on. And though I was experiencing, and yes, it hurt and it was sad. And yes, I prayed and yes, I cried out to God, but it didn't define me. What we were going through didn't define me. It didn't limit me. It didn't stop me. It didn't shut me down. And so I think, I think living it out, it becomes so core to us. Uh, I know that I, I sent it. There's like questions you begin to ask yourself and I think it, it can be made available. And it's an assignment I give all my counseling students to really begin to develop this in your own life, uh, what you believe and what supports those beliefs and, and all of that because once you do that and it really moves from the outside to the inside, then you live inside out. You just, everything flows from your heart, your good, healthy heart. That document uh, we will make available folks on newyorkupc.info. If you go to the gathering hub and tonight's links and everything, uh, Joyce will within this evening have that document in a PDF format uh, uploaded for you. And you can download that and uh, go more extensively into it as well. Thank you. Let's go to another question. Cassandra asks, how do you go through suffering when someone close to you has hurt you, but you still want to be a light to that person? Mm. Well, I think God certainly appreciates that good, very godly goal. Um, it's hard, especially the more, you know, you love someone and someone close to you hurts you. It is, it's so hard because this is someone that you, you know, you, you love and care about. If it's a stranger, you know, well, you can blame it on, well, they don't know the Lord or it's the devil. You can make all kinds of excuses, but when it's someone close to you, the Bible says love never fails. Now, there, you have to have wisdom, uh, again, 
a short answer to a great question that could take quite a bit of time. Love never fails, but love isn't stupid. <laughs> My paraphrase, how do we love like Christ really love, but we have boundaries. Uh, we still have self-respect. We, we're not self-protective, but we're not enabling others' bad behaviors. And I think that's um, a prayer that has to be prayed, a conversation with God. Teach me how to love this person in spite of the pain. Let me be light to them in spite of my disappointment in them. When people let us down, it also helps us refocus. Not that, not that uh, I don't. I want to go through life thinking I can't trust anybody, and you know everybody's bad. But I have to keep my confidence in God. Uh, he's the source, and people are the resource. The body of Christ was His brilliant idea. So people are important. Love God. Love people. It all matters. But making the relationship with him, the higher priority, then that relationship guides my other relationships so that I'm not uh, manipulative or I'm not enabling or any of those things we default to. Because when we're hurt, we default to what we know best, even if it's not the best. And so having that relationship with God that guides other relationships is very important. Thank love, you for that answer. Love has boundaries. In short, love has boundaries. Yes, ma'am. Erica asked the questions. Do you think, uh, take someone who has suffered through fill in the blank situation, and now they have an opportunity to help someone else who's dealing with the same situation or a similar situation, I should say, in order for them to be effective, do they have to be fully healed from whatever the situation was themselves before they can offer help to others? I, well, I can't think of this, where the scripture is found in the moment, but uh, the passage tells us that with what comfort we receive from Christ, then we are able to comfort others. So I think this is the Cindy Miller translation to the level that you have received comfort from Christ to the level that you've been healed you will be able to offer that to others, to whatever level you're at. You can't be a tour guide in a place you've never visited. You can't take people to places you've never gone yourself. So you will only be able to be a, a help, a comfort minister to the level that you've experienced it. So I, I feel like we're the body of Christ and I, I offer whatever I have, but if you're not healed at all, if you're still bitter, angry, brooding, um, vindictive, if, if you feel like I've given it to the Lord a hundred times, and you may, you may have to give it to the Lord 110 times or 200 times, but you'll know you're really free when you're not emotionally charged by the thought of it. So if in the beginning, you thought of that person that hurt and you get red in the face, your blood pressure goes up, you feel angry, you, ex, you, know, you act out on those emotions, then you're not healed. And even though you don't say those things with your mouth, it may be leaking out your pores, so to speak. So I think we're able to comfort others 
only to the level that we've allowed God to be comfort to us and have healing in our lives. And Cindy, I would add uh, and ask you to, to comment that sometimes it's not that we've done anything wrong that we're still in the process of healing because healing takes time. Oh, absolutely. And, and I, I want people to know this is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, we're talking about serious hurt and pain in our lives. God who created us understands us. So when I have to come to him yet again and say, I mean, oh, Lord, help me. I have, I'm feeling this. It still hurts. It still hurts. I, what's going on? He's saying, you know what? You're ready to heal at another level. I mean, we heal one layer at a time. Maybe we're kind of like that onion, you know, peel it one layer at a time. We heal. And maybe the full healing would be too much at one time. We wouldn't be able to handle it or absorb that journey. But he says, you know what, right now you're able to do this much. So let's work on this much. And he heals us to that level. And then he sees, you know what, you're, you're ready for the next layer of healing. Now you're ready to take on the next challenge of healing. And then he takes us on that journey. So these are, I'm not talking about a quick fix at the altar that if I had really prayed through, I wouldn't be struggling with this. I'm talking about a journey. Thank Desi, you for clarifying that. Desi, I have a question uh, that I noticed that we've got some other questions that are starting to come in. So folks, your last dash, get them all out on the keyboard. I've got one, Cindy, that'll, that'll bring us close to the end, if not the end, which is talk a little bit about, as I'm sitting here listening to you, it strikes me as a parent, I'm always trying to protect my children so that they don't experience suffering so that they don't experience pain, so they don't experience sin. And yet, as I'm listening tonight, it strikes me that perhaps I'm not going to expose my children intentionally to suffering or to sin or to pain or any of these kinds of things that are a part of our world, but perhaps I need to spend at least equal effort on preparing them for how to deal with suffering and lean into suffering as much as I do trying to make them have a perfect life. Um, comment what you think, how this impacts parents' responsibility in training and equipping their children for this life that embraces a theology of suffering. Well, I think once we truly believe that suffering uh, is biblical, it's going to happen and that there are positives to it and that God is going to use it, then instead of trying to uh, equip them just to get out of it, we start teaching. I mean, we should be doing this from early childhood, uh, you know, and across the span. I think in churches, we should be helping people develop a, an understanding of the role of God and, and the role of suffering and, and what happens in us and, and how that plays out biblically. But I definitely, I mean, I was not equipped. I, I, struggled so much as a young woman because I kept feeling like a failure in Christ. I am a failure. I'm an absolute loser in Christ. And I just worked harder. I was trying to be saved by my good works. I was just doing more and working harder and trying to be more faithful, all in the hopes that I could somehow attain this, this elusive uh, life in Christ that I thought everybody had but me, and it wasn't true at all. 
and when I, it was such a relief to be free from that. And I'm not a failure because suffering comes in my life. I, I'm not a loser because uh, things aren't going well. It's not lack of faith on my part that I didn't get God to manipulate planet earth on my behalf. But God is up to something and it's kingdom purpose. We know Romans 8, 28, we know all things work together for good. And I used to, to really misread that, in, you know, in my own mind, it was like, and we know all things work together for good kind of turned out and we know all things work together to make me feel good. And that is not what the Bible says. And what he calls good is, is all about kingdom purpose. And, and even though he wants us to have joy and peace and he, he provides, he makes a way, he goes through things with us. He doesn't want this, this planet earth to be our heaven. You know, this is just a stopping off point. This is the womb and we're really waiting to be birthed into real life, which is eternal life. It makes me think, Cindy, of the, uh, the disciples come to Jesus about the, the man and they say, who sinned, his parents or, or this man? And Jesus says, neither. This has happened in order that God could receive glory. Yeah. And I, I think that that perhaps encapsulates, you know, we're looking for blame mm -hmm. and we're looking for who did wrong. And unfortunately, we as preachers, I speak collectively, we as preachers have preached that message. Mm -hmm. We have taught people that if you have faith, God's going to do what you want him to do. <laughs> and the reality is, folks, that's not the case. That's good. Is gonna do <laughs> god is good god is perfect he does all things well but his mission is not our mission and mm -hmm. so the challenge is is i, I in this covid 19 era i have been trying to let everybody that'll listen to me know god's not as bothered if you die that's it because his big mission is a lot bigger than any of these kinds of things and so that this whole thing it's for his glory all of it is for his glory and if we can understand that, even when we have created the suffering, if we turn and put it into Christ, even that can be used for his glory. Absolutely. And that's the hope. That's the consolation. Desi, we're right up against the timeline. You know I am on time. Is there any other questions that we need to squeeze in in 30 seconds? Or have we, uh, have we, it's not fair to in. In. ask a question in 30 seconds. So I think oh, we're going to, have to wrap this up. We, we, we could, we could, we could make her uncomfortable. I like to make big sis uncomfortable. I want you to, uh, I do want to make a book recommendation. Okay. Excellent. I think, I think a book that is just so perfect for anyone who's looking to develop this further. It's an older book. It came out like 2003 and it's authentic. Faith, The Power of a Fire-Tested Life by Gary Thomas. And it's been out so long, you can go to Amazon and get the Kindle version for $4.99. So it's Authentic Faith by Gary Thomas. And that is such a classic book. So good. It tells the story of one of my professors, Dr. Mike Dittman. And, um, and in telling the story of Dr. Dittman, he had been like this, you know, hero on campus. He could do everything right. He could play, he could sing, he could, you know, he was a sports guy. He was charismatic and popular. And then he had a massive hem brain hemorrhage and, and was, you know, 
like lost his looks, his face was pulled to one side, uh, you know, wasn't able to speak for a long time, couldn't play sports anymore, couldn't leave worship anymore. So, so much what appeared to be tragedy. I knew Dr. Dittman. He's still on my phone on speed dial. He's the person I refer to, you know, for family members. I love him and, and value him so much. But one thing that Gary Thomas wrote about Dr. Dittman, he said, when I was in college and I was around Mike, I always left being around Mike feeling like I want to be just like Mike. He said, after he went through his time of suffering in this life-changing season. Now, when you're around Mike and you leave, you leave thinking, I want to be more like Jesus. And I tell you, that's really what suffering should do for all of us. It doesn't make us more popular or more beautiful or more talented or gifted, but it, it will certainly, if we allow it, we will certainly be more like Jesus. All right, in the few moments before we shut down the broadcast, everybody express your love in the chat to Dr. Cindy Miller. Let her know how appreciative you are. By the way, that book is in that document that we will attach at newyorkbc.info, so you'll be able to grab that information. But type that up so she can go back and look at the broadcast, see and your love. Quick, and a quick announcement for those of you, in addition to the document that will be posted on our website, I did just post a link back out to everyone for the ebook version from Amazon that she recommended. It's $4.99. So for Excellent. $5, you can pick up the ebook version of what Dr. Miller just recommended. And I posted that link in the chat, and it will also be included in the document we'll post on our website later this evening. And for all of you that are saying, oh my goodness, she's got to come back and all of this. Trust me, folks. We've got lots of friends, but they've got lots to say. So you should count on recurring appearances. And if it is not happening, it is our friend's fault. It is not going to be mine. There will be an invite back. <laughs> they will be available. I promise. But we do have a lot of friends, so we want to get to them. I don't want to tell you any of the ones, but you don't want to miss Friday night with friends. Oh, Friday Friday night is going to be a great night. If you're absolutely, this, it's it's going to keep going, and we've got some really really neat things coming up. Absolutely. So, Cindy, thank you for being with us. You know I love you, even though we are abusive to one another on the phone and and everything else, folks. Yeah. I'll tell you a funny story. No, you're abusive too. You won't answer your phone. So whenever I call Cindy, she never answers her phone. She she doesn't answer the house phone. She doesn't answer the cell phone. And she leaves this rude message as if she's not Cindy. She says, hey, you've reached Cindy's voicemail, but Cindy's horrible with her voicemail. She never answers the phone, but you can try to leave a message. So what I do is I leave rude messages and I mean rude messages, folks. I don't cuss or anything, but I am rude on both sides because you want to tell them why I do this, Cindy? Because it used to be, no, because it used to be that the whole family would gather around the around the machine and sit there and listen to me blabber on for two minutes. And finally, as I'm about to hang up, would pick up the phone and go, oh, we're here. <laughs> so now I leave them entertainment. I don't know what happens to these voicemails, but I love you, big sis. Thank you for being with us tonight Thank and uh, have a great weekend. We love you. Thank you. Bye-bye. And everybody else. As we say every time we sign off, good night.